Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Well, good morning. That was sort of a quiet intro right there, like they... They just wanted to remove, like, uh, settle the room. It's good to see you. Yeah, it's, it's good to see anybody this morning. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. And to everybody who's joining us online, we see you too. And uh, to all of our friends who are joining us online from Florida, we wish we were you. That's, that's not, not going not to lie. This is, this is the season. And we're kicking off a, a new series. We're talking about origins, about origin stories. I, I remember my dad grew up in Missouri on a farm. He was a, he was a, a farm boy, uh, family worked a farm that they didn't own. And one of my memories growing up is that about every other year, we would do the family road trip cross country to Missouri to go visit dad's family. And we would, we would always, there were always the stories that dad would share. And then we get to go see. I remember going to see where dad grew up. Like, because dad had told us the stories of the driveway that was a mile long that they had to walk just to get to the road to get to school. And I wanted to see if it was true. And then he showed me, and it was true. I mean, as a kid, I was like, that's a long driveway. And man, it was just, there was something that was, there was something that was fascinating, almost magical about, about seeing the story of my father because it, it was part of my story. You see, everyone has a, an origin story. You have an origin story. How you became you. Hmm. But most of us don't think about it. Very few of us have ever written it down. How you became you. Let me tell you something I know about your story, a prediction about your story, if I could. Your story hasn't been easy. I've been at this 30 years talking to people, and I know that about every story I've ever heard. It hasn't been easy, and there have been moments that mattered. That is that your story was written in key moments. Brittany just talked about that. And I'll bet you could do exactly the same. And here's the third thing about your story. It's not over. And you don't think it's over. I don't care how old you are, you're still writing your story. Or at least, you hope you are. So, we're going to talk about origin stories and your story. The story of how you became who you are. The story of God's work in your life. Because when you know your story, then you can work on your legacy. When you understand the story of how you became who you are and what God has done in you to bring you where you are today, then 
you can do the hard, beautiful work on a legacy. And to do that, I want to share with you five things about your story. And we're going to do that over the next five weeks. In fact, we're going to finish all of this up on Super Bowl Sunday, February 12th, one service all together in a giant celebration. And I hope by then you'll have actually written down parts of your story. Now, to do this, we're going to go back to an origin story in the Bible. It is one of the most famous origin stories in all of history. In fact, billions, literally billions of people around the world trace the story of their faith back to this one man. His name is Abraham. He is the in many ways the founder Romans chapter 4 tells us of our faith. Not just for the Jewish people, but for us too. So to see this story, you have to go back 4,000 years. And the history of it matters. 4,000 years, 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. And if you're doing it in pages in your Bible, it's Genesis chapter 11. That's not very far into the story, folks. Genesis chapter 11. In fact, if you're reading through the Bible this year, you're already way past Genesis chapter 11. But in Genesis chapter 11, 4,000 years ago, something happened and it changed the trajectory of the world. And it began the story of Abraham. And I think when you see Abraham's stories, you'll find the parallels for your own story. So let me read you how the story begins. We're going to pick up in chapter 12 with Abraham in a moment, but chapter 11, verse 31, gives us a little bit of needed context. Here's what it says. One day, Terah took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarah, his son Abram's wife, and his grandson Lot, his son Haran's child, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of Canaan. These are all important details. He, he's leaving Ur of the Chaldeans, and he's headed to Canaan land, right? The promised land. But they stopped at Haran. So he's making this journey, and on that journey, they, they pit stop in Haran. So they've traveled north to Haran, and then they're going to travel south to Canaan. But while he's in Haran, he, Terah dies, and it's left to Abram. And this is where the story picks up in chapter 12. And watch what it says. The Lord said to Abram, leave. I just... just if you've got your Bible open, if you're taking notes, if you're circling, highlighting, writing down, that's a good word. Leave. Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to a land that I will show you. I, I, I confess to you, I've read this, I don't know, it feels like hundreds of times, but I, it never really occurred to me that 
that it was his father that went to Canaan, but here Abram's not even told where he's going. He just says, leave, I'll show you. But then he promises him something. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. This is this famous uh, covenant, this promise to Abraham. But it begins with this invitation, right? This, this call. Abram, leave. I, I, want you to, I want you to leave. I'm calling you out. I'm I'm inviting you on an adventure. I'm inviting you to do something that's unknown and difficult. I'm inviting you to leave. And, and so it's a little bit important to understand the context of, of what Abram is leaving. Because if you're, like, if you're like me, you probably read the Bible and you think of Abraham and you think of like camels and, and you know, cattle and, and sheep and tents and deserts and stuff like that. But, but that's actually not the full picture. And the full picture is, is a little bit more fascinating because, because God is calling Abram to leave Ur, right? Ur was the city where their family had, had built its foundation. Now, this is fascinating because Ur as near as we can tell, and historians and archaeologists around the world seem to agree on this, Ur is the oldest metropolitan city ever. It was founded 4,000 years nearly before the birth of Jesus Christ, 3800 AD. In other words, by the time Abram is in Ur. The city has been there in one form or another for nearly 2,000 years. Now fast forward, it's 2000 BC, and Ur is what archaeologists think the first true city in all of human history. 60,000 people living in one small place. In fact, archaeologists know exactly where Ur was. They've, they've uncovered it. It was really kind of uncovered in the Western world in the 17th century. And then in the eight, 19th century, there was a little bit of work done there and they verified, but it wasn't until about 100 years ago in 1922 that uh, Robert Woolley went there as an archaeologist and began to uncover this fascinating city. In fact, I'm gonna geek out a little bit here because I love this stuff, okay? So if, if it bores you, just hang with me. I'll get to something else in a moment. But, but I brought you a picture. This is, what they, this is what they saw when they went there. This, is, this was what's called the ziggurat of Ur. So before the pyramids were built in Egypt, a few hundred miles away from here, the Sumerians were building these ziggurats. Literally, it was this massive, almost pyramidal structure in the middle of the city, which is there to this day. And a hundred years ago, they go there and they begin uncovering this place. In fact, they've reconditioned it. You can see, this is what it looks like today. So you can see this today. You could go there, look it up online. This is the city of Ur. And I love this picture. I wanted to show you this next one. This is, this is a picture of an artist's rendering of what it looked like during the time of Abram. In other words, what I'm saying is like, look at this, right? This was 
the lap of luxury. This was the first city in the world. It was like New York City. If, you're gonna, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere, right? Ur was the place to be. And Abraham and his family were there and they had made it. They were wealthy. They had lands and servants and cattle and they had everything and they had made it where everybody wanted to make it. In fact, I've always thought of Abraham giving up, you know, one tent for another tent. Not true. In fact, uh, Robert Woolley, when they were, when they were doing uh, archaeology there, when they were doing the dig back in the 20s and early 30s, uh, one of the things they did is they began to uncover homes from that period. And in a recreation, this is actually on the University of Pennsylvania website. This, this is a home from the time of Abraham. I wish I should, have, I should have brought this, but the description of it is fascinating. You walk in, and there's an open courtyard, and then there's a kitchen on the right, and there's offices on the left. There's a brick stairway to the second floor where all the, the bedrooms were, and then there's an open-air penthouse on the top. I'm like... Boy, put that on Zillow on Cape Cod. That's a million bucks all day long. Real estate agents in the church right now are like, sign me up, man. I can sell that. I'm looking at this, like this right here. When God says, Abram, leave. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. I want you to give it up. I want you to walk away. I want you to leave the lap of luxury. I want you to leave all the good stuff. I just want you to trust me. And what's fascinated us, what's, what's caught us and captivated us about the story of, of Abram is, is that he leaves. And it doesn't get easier. It gets harder. Endures deceit and treachery. Family leaving him, armies attacking him. Maybe that's what captivates us about the story, and maybe it's the lesson we need to begin with. Sometimes, leaving, following, faithfulness, it's hard. Or, to put it in the language of Richard Rohr, who wrote Adam's Return, and he puts it so well, Life is hard. <laughs> yes, it is. Life is hard. It's just hard. And it's often right where life is hard that God writes his best story in your life. I'll bet you can already see it. I bet you can look back to a childhood where maybe you looked on a childhood of poverty when everybody had stuff that you didn't have and how that formed you for good and for bad. Life is hard. And it's in those hard places where we're formed and we're shaped and we're made. And everyone knows this. Marriage is hard. Well, weddings are easy. I mean, they're sort of easy. But marriage? Oh. And some of you have walked through deep, deep valleys with a child who's walked away 
And you've been met with weeks or months or years of silence, and it's been hard. And you never expected that most beautiful, precious place in your life to be hard. But it is. And some of you have been through seasons of sickness, and it felt unfair. Because down deep, we had this subtle expectation of good and better. We sort of expected, maybe even thought a little bit, that we deserved something easier. But here's the true story. God writes the most important chapters in your life exactly where life is hard. And so when you look at the hardest moments in your life, the most painful, difficult valleys, you will find the place where God is busy at work writing your story. That's why I think the best way to write your story when life is hard is to follow the advice of the next verse. Genesis chapter 12, verse 4, says this. So, Abram departed as the Lord had instructed. And Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Abram departed. What I wrote down in my notes is when life is hard, say yes. But Abraham doesn't even say yes. He just, he just goes. But you get the point. When life is, is hard, and you're faced with that moment in that place where I want something easier. More comfortable. In that place, say yes. Have you ever been at one of those pivotal moments? Maybe think back to your youth where something hard was right in front of you and you knew this is the moment, this is the moment. I need to say yes. I need to prove I'm brave and adventurous and courageous. I need to stand up to it and do it. You ever have one of those moments? I had a cousin. Uh, I still do. His, his, his name is uh, Jay. He's actually Ron, but I always call him Jay. And do you ever have one of these cousins? He was the was same age as me, but he was sort of exotic. You know what I'm talking about? He was, he wore a leather jacket. He was popular. And he was brave, like... People loved him or were afraid of him. That was it. And he was my cousin. And we would, uh, this is like middle school, and we would hang out, and I secretly just admired him. I hope he's not watching this. I remember he, he lived in, in South Hadley, uh, Massachusetts, and I, I lived in Springfield, but in the summers we would, 
I would go over there and we would hang out. He never came to Springfield. We always went to South Hadley. And if you know South Hadley and Springfield, that makes absolutely perfect sense to you. <clears throat> and there was a public swimming pool. And, and we would go to this public swimming pool. And there was a high dive. This is the, old, the good old days when you did dangerous stuff. There was a high dive. And I would always jump off the low dive, but my exotic, brave cousin, <laughs> high dive. <laughs> it looked awesome. I mean, I just... And he would taunt me. Oh, let's go. Come on. And I remember, I remember the day, like I was, ah, I'm doing it. Ah, ah. And you get in line to go up the ladder and you can always get out of line until you start climbing the ladder. So the ladder is the go point. Like as soon as you put your foot on the ladder, and I remember getting there and, and there was a battle between bravery and embarrassment and I climbed the ladder. And I got out. I mean, it, I mean, it felt like 10 miles high. And it was this bravery moment, like, I'm going to... And I did it. I jumped. I didn't dive. <laughs> I jumped. <laughs> and I came up brave. The next week when I was visiting him, we took our bikes and we drove. He said, I gotta show you something. And we drove, South Hadley borders Holyoke and it's bordered across between it is the Connecticut River. And we, we drove over, to uh, rode our bikes over this place right in the Connecticut River. And there was, a, there was a rope swing that went out over the Connecticut River. It's right next, there's a bridge that crosses over called the Joseph Mueller Bridge. And then right below this is there's, a, there's the Holyoke Dam, which is kind of a spillway. And you could see the barrels that kept boats from going down. And we were on a rope swing that was just swinging over, which felt a little bit dangerous to me, but the current was, and the Connecticut River is not much fun to swim in, but here we were, we had done dumber things. And so we're swinging out. And then my cousin says, watch this, I'm gonna jump off the bridge. Now, folks, this is not like any little sandwich boardwalk bridge, folks. This is like a highway over the Connecticut River. And I watch my cousin go up and there was a way you could walk under the bridge on the spans out to one of the piers. And I watched him walk out there, stand on the pier, and dive off into the river. Oh. Then he swam over and he said, let's go. I know you're thinking, did you do it? No because I'm not dumb. <laughs> Did you think the point of this was just to go and find hard stuff and do it? Listen, that's just dumb. God's not calling you to go and pick out the hardest thing and do it. God's not saying you should find painful things in your life because it will make you better. Good grief. Sometimes stupid is just stupid, people. <laughs> 
Here's what I'm saying. Sometimes painful, difficult, impossible things drop themselves right into the middle of your life. And you didn't ask for them, and you didn't choose them. But you've got to decide what to do. And sometimes the faithful decision is just to say yes and not run, not complain, but just trust in his faithfulness. Sometimes something appears in your life and that thing stands between you and what God has called you to be. And the only way you can get to what God is calling you to be and calling you to do is to say yes and endure through that thing. And that's where I'm saying, say yes. Don't run away. Don't give up. Let, let me tell you uh, what, what happens when, when, when you say yes in those, those difficult places. Because, because he, here's one thing that happens. When you say yes, you stay around long enough to see God at work. I'll tell you this. God's, God's not in a hurry. You are, but God's not. And the best stuff you'll see in life happens when you don't run. When you don't decide that the easy way is the best way. When you decide, I'm not going to live my life by giving in to every single craving I have. When you realize that sometimes what God wants for you is to say no to that and yes to this. And sometimes when you do that, and you wait long enough, you'll get to see God work in ways you would have entirely missed otherwise. Here's what else happens. Sometimes, when you wade through that, that hard season, you'll come to accept your part in the pain. You didn't just run away. You'll come to accept and confess your part in it. You'll come to see, oh, on this occasion, <laughs> it was my choice and my decision that brought the pain. I've quoted it before. I'll say it again. Richard Rohr's quote about this in Adam's Return is powerful. He says, what we don't transform, we transmit to those around us. And accepting and confessing my part in the pain is where I begin to transform the things that are broken in my life. And unless I wait and unless I say yes and unless I endure and I accept my part in the pain and I confess it, I never transform those things and instead I transmit them to my kids, to my family, to my friends and everyone around me. But when I don't just run away, <laughs> I come to see and confess my part in it. And God begins to transform me. I'll tell you one of the most beautiful things that happens when we say yes in those places that life is just impossibly hard. You will escape the life of a victim. 
me just say that again. You will escape living the eternal, repetitive life of a victim. You know why? Because when you believe that God is writing your story in good places, but especially in the bad and painful and difficult places, all of the sudden, those hard, difficult, painful places become noble. Rohr describes it this way, and I thought it was a great illustration. He says, our scars become sacred. Because all of a sudden, I see in that story God at work. I'm not just a victim of my circumstance. I'm a part of the story, the noble story of God at work in my life, and he is transforming me in ways I never believed and through the hardest, most painful, most difficult places. I'm not a victim. It's a noble story of what God is doing. And I can look back over the journey of my life at the most difficult, painful, tragic places. And I can begin to see how in those places, God is writing a noble, beautiful, sacred story. So, maybe you're thinking like Ben, yeah. My story feels so dark. So. I think maybe the most beautiful thing about that is that it is almost always in the darkest places of our life where we experience the presence of God. Listen, I'm not, I, I, I'm not saying that I don't come to worship and love the moment of celebration. I do. And there are mountaintops where, man, I've seen God bless and it's been so good. But if I'm being perfectly honest, the places where I have most experienced God's presence in my life have also been the darkest places. I just ran out of answers. And life felt empty and impossible. And it was right there that I experienced the presence of God like I don't ever experience it on a mountaintop. And that's the beauty. The beauty of finding yourself in the middle of a difficult, impossible, painful, maybe tragic situation caused even often by other people. That I can see God at work and sense his presence and be overwhelmed with his peace. 
Isn't it remarkable that the singular image for Christianity is a brutal instrument of death, the cross. Because through the cross, through the most difficult of places, our life was secured. Remember what Jesus said over in Luke 6, long before he went to the cross? He said, if any of you want to be my disciple, pick up your cross and follow me. He followed it by saying this. For everyone who tries to save their own life will lose it. But those who lose their life for me will find it. You see, God is writing his most beautiful, powerful, transformative works in the places where it's hard. The places where he's saying, I know leaving that was difficult. Trust me. I am writing your story. Would you bow with me? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I, I just, I'm mindful that for some of us, this is a useful exercise in looking back over our lives and cataloging difficult places and how God transformed us. I hope you'll do that. But as we close, I just want to pray for those of you who find yourself right now in the middle of it. Like God has called you to leave. And life is right now seemingly impossibly hard. And it may be that he is reminding you through the testimony of Abraham and the invitation of Jesus in Luke 6 to trust in his faithfulness and say yes. Trust you, Lord. I see your noble, sacred work. And I'm going to stand right here and not run from it. Father, for every man, for every woman, for every young person that's just in the middle of it. It just feels like darkness is everywhere around them. Father, just fill them with a sense of your presence in this moment, Father. 
Let them hear and know that you're with them. And through this, you are writing their story. You are building, creating something noble and beautiful, and you are not done. God, we thank you for your faithfulness, and we believe the invitation of Luke 6 is true, that whoever will lose their life for my sake will find it, Father. We pray this together in Jesus' name.